Well, if you've got your Bibles along, you could uh, open up to the 13th chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 13. <clears throat> we'll pop the lights on here so you can see. And uh, there's, there are Bibles under the chairs in front if you want to follow along. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 13. <clears throat> I think my voice is starting to go. <clears throat> Uh, we have been in the sermon series called Parables of Jesus, Simple Stories, Profound Truths. And this morning we are in Luke 13 and we are in, diving into another of Jesus' parables. Luke 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. <clears throat> and Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were more, worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. <laughs> I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. And he told them this parable. <clears throat> a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for your living word that goes, to, that goes to work on our hearts and our minds, the ways, Lord, that you strengthen and fill and guide, the way that your word comes alive by the power of your spirit. Would you go to work in us? Would you fill us and strengthen us and meet us and minister to our hearts and our minds? Lord, we need you. We need you. Come, pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, amen. Well, we have been spending uh, time listening to Jesus, allowing our Savior to, uh, to minister to us through these parables. Again, I'm going to do briefly for everybody who, just a couple of things before, uh, before we get into the parable, just as a reminder, the word parable literally means to lay alongside, to lay parable, and in Jesus' cake, case, he laid parallel alongside each other heavenly truths and everyday examples. Jesus uses parables to teach heavenly truths to everyday people. And so these past weeks, Jesus has taught us through the parable of the prodigal son in the first week, about his love and how he forgives and celebrates when we turn and repent and come home. And the rich fool in the second week, how we are to be rich towards God, seeking the Lord, thinking of our faith walk and our faith lives. And the parable of the wedding feast last week, the call to live a life of humility, humbly serving those around for Jesus' sake. Well, today, we hear and learn a heavenly lesson through the earthly, everyday example of a fig tree. Now, I don't know what a fig tree, I know what a fig newton is, but I, I don't think I've ever had a fig tree. Today, Jesus uses this parable of this barren fig tree to speak into our lives. The lesson starts out with this question posed to Jesus, and it ends in this poignant parable that reminds us that our time on earth, our time to turn, to repent, to live fruitful lives is finite, right? Our lives will soon someday end, and we don't know when that hour will come. It's also a lesson that reminds us that we have a good gardener, 
A great Lord who teaches and tends and cares for us and desires for us to be fruitful and desires to be with us eternally for us to be saved. In the first section of the text, Jesus confronts this, the, the, the Jewish belief that, that tragedy happens to sinners. And, and I think there's some of that even in our culture too, kind of this cause and effect. Like, what have I done to deserve this? You might have heard that saying sometimes, right? That if someone, something bad happens to someone, it must be the result of some sin or some serious defect within that person. And Jesus comes against that commonly held belief. He says to the crowd, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No. I tell you, no. And in refuting this notion that tragedy equals kind of bad sin, he uses two examples. And they're examples that all of them would have known about. The deaths that occurred during the sacrifices and the Tower of Siloam falling. He comes against this superstitious and outright wrong understanding of the nature of tragedy and the nature of God who creates and loves us. Now, perhaps this group who came to him and asked this question had, had ulterior motives by asking it. Maybe they were trying to see if Jesus would get kind of angry at that question. They may have thought that if the right question was posed, maybe Jesus would rile up the crowd, a riot against Rome, or better yet, a whole movement against the Roman rule. After all, Pilate had killed Jews, Galileans, as they were preparing their sacrifices to be offered, and their blood mingled with their blood of their sacrifices. Sounds like a pretty offensive thing, doesn't it? To kill faithful as they're offering up sacrifices? Or maybe the group posed the question just simply because they were curious to see how Jesus would answer something that they were struggling to better understand. Whatever their motives, Jesus cuts right across this commonly held belief that tragedy happens to people who deserve it. He says boldly, no. God is not punishing people with tragedy and suffering. God is life and truth and healing and forgiveness and peace. It is the devil who is always at work bringing despair and pain and suffering and destruction. In a sense, Jesus reminds them that we live in a broken world, fallen, where sin and tragedy and death are at work. What Jesus implies by his answer is that bad things will happen, and everybody has an equal shot at bad things happening. After all, we live in this reality of a fallen world. That being said, Jesus tells them that God isn't out whacking people on the head, and tragedy isn't the result of some committed sin. It's the result of this fallen world, and God sent his Son, listen, to redeem, restore, resurrect, and make all things new in light of that brokenness. Amen? That's a very different understanding of the nature of tragedy and the nature of God than the ones that those group of people posed. You see, Jesus wants them and us to get it right because it matters. How you understand God's heart and God's character towards us makes a difference on how you approach Him. Amen? The parable that Jesus tells highlights the fact that not only is God completely opposite of their understanding, in fact, God is the one who desires good for us. He tends us and cares for us. He desires fruit-filled lives that are lived in relationship to Him eternally. We see this truth in the fact that Jesus calls Him to repent. That first part when He's answering those questions, He, he, he says, "Come, Repent. And that isn't a, a kind of a finger shake condemning, like, repent, you sinner. It, it, it's a time is short. God loves you. 
Come, turn, live. Be in relationship with me. Be in relationship with the one who created you. It's spoken out of God's deep longing for us. We know that this is the heart of God. You know that God longs for you? Do you know that? That's God's heart. He longs to be in relationship with you. He longs to to be in conversation with you continually. He longs for you. We know that God wants to live with us and in us and through us. He desires this eternal relationship that begins here by our repenting, our turning away from the world and sin and turning towards His grace and forgiveness and love. God's heart is not there wringing His hands just kind of waiting for somebody to mess up the doink on the top of the head. He wants us to live. He wants our hearts. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. And many of you might remember this parable. It's it's the parable where Jesus shows us the heart of God, how God is this good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one. Listen to the end of that parable. Here's the parable. It's in Matthew 18, 12-14. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of that one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. Verse 14. This is Matthew 18, verse 14. Underline this. So it is not the will of my Father. This is Jesus speaking. It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish. Sound like a God whacking people on the head based on their sin? Mm -mm. It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one, even one, of these little ones should perish. God wants every single one. God desires all of us to repent and come. His heart wants people to turn, to be in relationship, to live. So at the beginning of our text for today from Luke 13, Jesus lifts up to them and us the need for repentance. He calls, he says, come. That's how we, 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 we enter into relationship with God. By turning. By running. He says, come. Repent. Draw near. The Father wants you, loves you, come. And this is really in line with the parables that we've been studying the past week. Jesus reminds us that we should be more concerned about our eternal lives and, 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 and our faith walk, that God wants us to bring others into salvation and to life. And when we turn like the prodigal son, he comes running. Think of those lessons that we've, that we've listed those, the past weeks. The prodigal son, the, the rich fool, being rich towards God. Jesus points us time and time again to this truth, that we are loved. Amen? Amen? We are valued by God. We are valued by God, who would send His only Son to die for us so that we might live. Today, Jesus remind us, reminds us in the text that death will come to us all. But because of this, we need to be firmly planted in God, living lives of repentance in the midst of this world, and discovering that in Him we have abundant and eternal life. And through us, through the fruit of our lives, we can draw others into relationship 
with Jesus. It is in response to the question, in response to this wrong thinking and confused understanding of God, that Jesus tells this parable of the barren fig tree. I want to use two things from the parable as it relates to God's love and desire for us to live and to be in relationship with Him. This parable speaks of, number one, God's patience towards us. And number two, His tender loving care for us, longing for each of us to become our best selves, fruitful and productive, living lives of purpose for the kingdom's sake. So first of all, we serve a God who is patient. I'm really glad God's patient with me. I used to try my parents' patience. But I try God's more. And I'm so grateful that He's patient with me. And He patiently desires me to come each day. And speaking of this barren fruit tree, this tree that is taking up space and producing nothing, here's how the gardener responds. It's in verse 8 of Luke chapter 13. He says, Sir, let it alone this year also. Can you let it sit another year? Can you be patient? There's patience here. And remember, there's already been three unfruitful years. (laughs) There's already been quite a bit of patience. The gardener says, give it another try. Give it another year. Leave it this year too. God's patience towards those who have yet to turn, to step into the fullness of His love and grace. He isn't out looking to cut them down, but patiently longing for them to come. To come. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's, it's 2 Peter, it's way towards the back, it's after Hebrews. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says but second peter 3 verse 8 but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day verse 9 underline the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you underline not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. (laughs) It's coming. But what is God's heart? That all would come. That all would turn. That no one should perish. Jesus is coming again. This whole show is going to get wrapped up. And some were wondering, that were early Christian church, they were wondering, well, when's it happening? Jesus said, I'm coming again. And they're like, well, okay, it's been been a while now been a couple of years been a couple of decades where are you is it going to happen and peter responds listen listen folks god isn't slow he's patient why why he lingers (laughs) he waits to drop the curtain on this show this for more people That more people would repent and come to Him. That more people would be saved. If you jump down to verse 15 in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as, what does it say? Anybody have it? As salvation. (laughs) Count God's patience as salvation. 
God wants more. And he's waiting to draw in more. More and more. God isn't angry or wrathful just waiting to, for people to screw up and punish them. He is waiting and longing for people to come and give them life. He is patient even though there is struggle and tragedy and death and those things grieve the Lord. But not even the grief of those things will cause God to hurry to bring it all to a close because someone might come today through you. Through your conversation or your prayer or your service to them, someone might turn. And so the Lord holds off another day. He is patient. He has a heart for more. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. The second lesson about God's love for us from the parable of the barren fig tree is also found in verse 8. It says, Sir, let it alone this year also. That's the patience. And then it says, until I dig around it and put on some manure. (laughs) Remember the Christmas tree and Charlie Brown's Christmas? Remember that Christmas tree where it goes out to get the Christmas tree and he gets that Christmas tree and he brings it back? And he's like, he goes, it's not such a bad tree. It just needs a little love. Remember that? And, you hang, and they hang like an ornament on it, and all the, all the needles go clink, 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 clink. It's just this barren, sad-looking little tree. Do you remember that? It just looked terrible. That's the sort of, of, of tree that I imagine this little fig tree looking like in, in, the, in the text today. You know, this scrawny, twiggy, little sticky thing. And the gardener sees potential in it. <laughs> says turn he's got patience he cares for it he tends it he builds it up he wants this crummy little tree to bear fruit and to live this is the god we serve this is our gardener tending and care, caring and nourishing throwing a little manure around our roots <laughs> that we might live that we might bear fruit that we might walk in faith and hope and love. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The title of this section of Colossians is called Alive in Christ. And it says this, Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in Him, underline, rooted and built up in Him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, rooted and established, built up. This is what the gardener of the text is up to. Establishing good roots for us that go deep into the Father's heart of His love and grace and building us up so that we might be fruitful, that we might bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Galatians 5.22, that fruit might abound in our lives, abounding in thanksgiving, rooted and built up, using our gifts for the kingdom's purposes. The gardener in this parable is good and loving and kind and nurturing, forgiving and hopeful. He is patient and he is here today for you and me he's here to to do a little gardening 
do a little gardening, to graft us in. God sees good potential in you and me. He's here to tend and nurture us so that we'll repent and come. And as we do, we'll be built up and rooted and grounded and our lives will bear fruit with, for a holy purpose. So you to come here today needing a little pruning, a little cultivating, a little manure. Can you sense the Lord's patience with you? His love for you? Or maybe you've been lingering and avoiding Him. Turn and come. The gardener is here today. And He calls to each of us, calling out through His living Word. By His Word, He tends and nurtures and fertilizes our gifts. He calls us to Himself and then He sends us into the world. And as His people, we have this holy purpose to bring others in, invite those who don't know the good gardener, and bring them into this relationship that nurtures and cares and fills. We do this by living out our gifts that come from the good gardener's care and nurture. And Jesus reminds us today that our time is short. Our lives fly by and Jesus has promised to come again. Time is ticking and God wants more. More people. So let's go find the broken, the beat up, the little fig trees that can't And let's reach out to all the brokenhearted and beat down and lost and let's share the love of Jesus Christ. I, I, see, a, I see a lot of fruit out there. I see a lot of fruit out there. Let's, let's step into this calling and bear good fruit, sharing the Gospel and filling up the kingdom with more for that is the will of this good and gracious gardener amen let's pray father you are good and you tend and you nourish and you fill and you care for you provide father turn our hearts each day to you Draw us to You time and time again. Encourage and fill and, and guide us and gift us with what we need each day to meet the tasks of whatever You call us into. The lives that You've given us to serve or to live out the Gospel with the people around us. Provide for us and fill us. Remind us of the gifts You've given us or show us those gifts. And let the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, let it overflow in our lives that others would come and turn. So come, you good gardener, come. And do your work in us. And do your work through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen.